continue our series on the prophets um, by diving a little bit into ourselves. The book of Jeremiah is one of the longest in the Old Testament, one of the longest in the Bible, uh, and quite frankly, mystifying to a lot of biblical scholars. But yet, it is still one of the most quoted books and has given uh, so many folks over the years a sense of their own personal calling, vocation, and direction before a holy God. So hear the story of Jeremiah's calling, God's word to you and to me today. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you. And you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations, over kingdoms, to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow to build, and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, You've seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot tilted away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall break out on all the inhabitants of the land. For now I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord, and they shall come and all of them shall set their thrones at the entrance at the gates of Jerusalem, against all its surrounding walls, against all the cities of Judah. And I will utter my judgments against them for all their wickedness and forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. But you, gird up your loins, stand up, and tell them everything that I command you. Don't break down before them, or I will break you before them. And I, for my part, have made you today a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its princes, its priests, the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. Holy One, you have called us to this place for reasons we don't always understand. As you put your word in Jeremiah's mouth, put your love in our hearts. We may hear your word and live it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
One of the themes that's so clear about this passage came clear to me when we went to Montreat a couple weeks ago, and we heard about the Jeremiah Project. So among the 1,200 high school students that were there for that week of the youth conference, and there are six, by the way, it's about 6,000 high school students come through that conference every summer, Presbyterians. Of that crew, there's always a group called the Jeremiah Project, which are a group that are selected as having a sense of calling and vocation towards being a minister of word and sacrament, a teaching elder, a.k.a. pastor. And they get to do these really incredible skits or find ways to integrate a little bit of depth into the worship services. So it's not just listening to a pastor for 20 minutes. And these are some of the best preachers in the country. But when you add in the sort of power and drive of some of our high school students who have a passion for the church and a sense of what the gospel is saying and they can perform it visually, it's really powerful. So you can kind of get that sense of Jeremiah. It's been used for that reason for a long time. Jeremiah here saying, oh God, you can't use me. I'm only a boy. And yet God does in really powerful ways. But there's more to it than that. It's not just, oh, that was cute that Jeremiah got called as a boy and he figured it all out. And it's been a lot harder for me, myself, God, in my sense of call. So that prophet probably doesn't have anything to do with me. But we know a lot about call stories. We know a lot about vocation. And yet it feels like we don't know that much. Which I think is why the podcast, How I Built This, is so popular right now. Have you ever heard of this? Guy Raz, who does the TED Radio Hour uh, podcast, came up with this new one, How I Built This. And the, the catch line for this is that it weaves a narrative journey about innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists. And the movements they built. So Guy Raz has interviewed tons of people. The founder of Southwest. The founders of... Instagram and Airbnb and even Spanx. There's some interesting quotes that rise up out of these sense of call. The founders of Instagram, Kevin Seistrom and Mike Krieger, said, at one point we said, this is it. We've built this great thing and we've totally messed it up. And the founders of this multi-billion dollar company go on to describe how close they were to failure dozens of times. The thing that weaves itself through our lives, so many lives today, is this close to absolute disaster on more occasions they could count. Joe Gabby, the founder of Airbnb, recalls when they were meeting around in Silicon Valley, and they said, we get introduced to 20 investors in Silicon Valley. Ten of them would reply to our email. Five of them meet us for coffee. Zero invested in us. What does that feel like? So they, of course, share their story of how their side hustle became something that they did not mean it to be, interestingly enough. And then there's Sarah Blakely, who was the youngest billionaire in the United States of America who founded Spanx. She recalls a time where she said, I was in the middle of a meeting with an investor. I was with her, and I could tell I was losing her. So I said, you know what? Will you come with me to the bathroom? And that took her on the path to a billion dollars. 
Now, these calling stories are amazing, right? They're stories of, of triumph and getting up against walls and breaking them down and moving forward. And we look up to these folks. We look to these folks and say, wow, their passion, perseverance, and grit, it's amazing. It's a good thing they really knew what they were doing and they succeeded. The problem is, all these beautiful stories are better in hindsight. The present tense is particularly more painful. Any of you sitting in this room who have ever thought about the question, what's next, know exactly what that feeling feels like. Perhaps it's when you were a young girl or boy, like Jeremiah. Perhaps in your later years, like Abraham and Sarah. But we know from all those stories that God does not choose based on age. God does not call the equipped. God equips the called. God does not call the equipped. God equips the called. And that's hard to remember unless we read our Bible a decent amount. I always thought one of the best parts of the Old Testament was that I could go and I could read it and I could feel a lot better about myself because where I'm at is always better than where these guys, mostly guys, started. First you have Moses. Moses is sort of a four-piece step to his calling, coming, ending with this most incredible of sayings. He has to reject God four times and God's saying, you're going to be my prophet. You're going to do things for me. You're going to be my prophet. And eventually, he says, and I'm using the RSV, this old translation for emphasis. Some of you might have heard this growing up. Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either heretofore or since thou hast spoken to thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And yet some of the words of Moses are those still on our hearts and minds to this day. Do you think God couldn't figure out a way to call Moses? Then there comes Gideon and Saul. There's Isaiah. Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. So certainly no good could come from Isaiah. And yet, interestingly, God helps his lips out in order to help them speak a good word by applying hot coals from an altar. I'm not exactly sure how that feels in the long term, but I think he got the message, which is why the book of Isaiah is often called the fifth gospel, because it is mentioned in the New Testament more than any other book of the Old Testament. Remember, God equips the called God does not call the equipped. There are others, Ezekiel and Jonah, who ended up in a rather damp mission and never really did say thank you to God for that one. Took a bit of a clear signal for Jonah and the whale or the big fish or whatever you want to call it in order for Jonah to get the message. God equips the called. God does not call the equipped. Because like God says in Psalm 139, often used in malevolent ways, or here in a more beautiful way, I think, before I formed you in the womb, 
God says to Jeremiah, I knew you. So it's not just when you were sitting in the womb, but before you were even a zygote. I knew you, says the Lord God Almighty. This is the first step in the process. God's initiating word. There are up to six steps in this. Maybe you can think about a time where you felt called by God to something, whether it's your day job or some other sense of vocation that you have in your life. There's God's initiating word. God saying, I have appointed you to be. I have called you to set the people free. I've called you to go to work for Zurich Insurance. God's initiating word begins it. And then there's usually an objection in these stories. Every now and then you get someone who says, oh yeah, God, I'm gung-ho. A lot of possible death for me and end of all my social status and probably my family not wanting to be with me anymore. I'm all in. There's a couple of those. But mostly people object, as does Jeremiah. Oh, Lord God, truly, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a boy. Now, in a world that was highly patriarchal, and where boys younger than the age of 13 would own more property at that time in their life than many of the women in their village combined, I'm not buying it, Jeremiah. Oh, I'm only a boy. Uh-huh. You have power and wealth and privilege. And probably, we think from the research, grew up in one of these incredible schools of Scripture there in Jerusalem. So one of the highest resource areas for hundreds and thousands of miles. Oh, but you're only a boy. I'm so sorry. God equips the called. God does not call the equipped. God initiates with a word. People object. Every now and then there's a chastisement. This isn't meant to be seen as God yelling at anyone, but at least God saying, now, that's not exactly true. God responds to Jeremiah after he says he's only a boy. He says, do not say I'm only a boy. You will go to all whom I send you. You will speak whatever I command you. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. God initiates, we object often. God chastises our lack of belief in ourselves. As if God's putting God's image in us was not enough work of the holy and the divine to make us worthy of being called. So God chastises when we say we are not worthy enough of the image of God, and then God reassures us that we are. Do not be afraid of them. I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And then finally, the commissioning. Once I've reminded you of who you are and to whom you belong, here's the mission, if you choose to accept it. And there's no bomb that's going to explode in 10 seconds or self-destruct. But sometimes it feels like we don't if we fight against our calling. Plenty of prophets tried that. In this commissioning, God says, 
I've put my words in your mouth. And God literally touches Jeremiah's mouth. Remember the thing about Isaiah and the hot coals in the mouth? Well, Isaiah certainly remembers it. And everyone else who remembers the scriptures would remember that story and how God said, I will put words into your mouth through my servant Aaron. Somehow God keeps calling us and this mouth image comes forth. When we feel like we don't have the words, when we say in a small group, I can't pray, I don't know the words, that God keeps calling us forth to do those very things. God initiates we object. There's chastisement, reassurance, and a commissioning. Now, it's very nice to look at the prophets and say, oh, well, that's very nice and good because that was a prophet. And they're important enough to get written down in Holy Scripture. And I work for an insurance company. Do you not believe that God has called you? Do you not believe that you are worthy of the image of God wired into you? Do you believe it? I've had a lot of people ask me questions. And all, it's strange what questions you get as a pastor. But the number one, beyond a doubt, is I'm confused <clears throat> about my sense of calling and what to do next. And 99% of the time, the fault doesn't lie in knowing where to go next because it's impossible to figure out the next faithful step in a determined sort of way. But 99% of the time, the problem lies in a lack of confidence that God is within us. That we were made in the image of God. See, we live in a world that tells you your value is based on the capital you produce, right? The more capital you produce, the more value added you are to the company, the more valuable you are. We'll raise your salary, we'll give you a new position title. That's worth. That's what makes us important. Or as Thomas would say, that's what makes us a very useful engine. Do you believe that you're worth is lying in that? Then what do you think about your children who don't produce any capital? What do you think about the elderly who may be receiving capital but not producing it in the same way as they once did? Are they less important because they don't make the GDP increase every year? See, our, our Western narrative has it backwards. Our image, our worth is based in the image of God, the Imago Dei. And if it doesn't start there, then all the rest of the stories are tangled up. We can't make it through the narrative arc if we don't know where the story begins. God equips the called. God does not call the equipped. God eventually says to Jeremiah, you will speak the words I command you. And I think that's the hardest part. It's not just figuring out where to go next, what to say next, what, what to present with our lives. We understand there are words that break and there are words that build. And Jeremiah is certainly an illustration of that. 
Jeremiah speaks to the people of Jerusalem just years before they are exiled into Babylon, telling them that God is up to something. God wants us to become renewed. God wants the injustice and oppression to end. And yet Jeremiah is also around to speak the word of hope and building. You can probably think of these kinds of folks if you think of people you would consider modern-day prophets. For me, those people are William Barber, Otis Moss III, Christina Cleveland, and most certainly Malcolm Gladwell. If you aren't listening to his podcast, he is speaking truth to power, my friends. But most interestingly to me this day, most close to heart, is Jimmy Ray Hawkins. You may have met him a few months ago when he came to our open forum. He's the director of the Office of Public Witness for the Presbyterian Church in the United States of America. And just a month ago, he participated in part of the Poor People's Campaign, 40 days where people of faith stood up to injustice by acts of nonviolent resistance. Jimmy Ray and a few other pastors and leaders of the movement, including Liz Theo Harris, stood on the steps of the Supreme Court when they were not supposed to, and they prayed. They prayed for an end to the injustice, the end to decisions that pull back voting rights and the decisions that pull back help for the poor. And he was put in jail. This act of nonviolent resistance put Jimmy Ray Hawkins and these other clergy into jail for 30 hours. 30 hours later, after sleeping on metal shelves, rooms full of cockroaches, some of the leaders of our nation's mainline Christian denominations were released. My friends, we have prophets among us. But the moral of the story with Jeremiah is not to say, oh, it's good that he was called as a boy, or it's good that we have this incredible example of Jimmy Ray, I wish I could do that. But it's to hear from those places God's spirit whispering to us, you too have been called. I have commissioned you for a time such as this. I'm leading you into that next faithful step because you were created in my image. Do you not perceive it? Do you not believe it? Jeremiah reminds us that the world depends on our sense of calling being fulfilled. That our listening to the Holy Spirit is not just something about us feeling good and sort of maximizing our utility, but the rest of the world depends on it too. A new study came out last week. There's a book called She Preached the Word, Women's Ordination in Modern America. And Benjamin Knoll and Cammie Jo Boleyn, who printed with Oxford University Press, have discovered that girls who grow up with female clergy leaders have significantly higher self-esteem than those who don't. That sounds kind of important. <laughs> Turns out it's very important. It's so important because low self-esteem is linked to higher levels of depression and anxiety as well as lower levels of relationship success, job satisfaction, motivation for personal improvement. 
not growing up with female clergy leaders is shown to lead to at least one year less of edu full education and seems to explain most of the full-time employment gap between men and women. There are huge effects for us who grew up in churches without female clergy leaders. And I'm so grateful that my daughters get to grow up in a church where we have a good one. You will fail if you listen to God enough. The Failure Lab in Western Michigan pulls forward some of the best voices. And unlike TED Talks, but then with this sort of reassuring, and then I conquered, or Guy Raz, and how I built this, and now I own Southwest. Failure Lab allows people to just be and to just tell their story. My favorite story comes from the lead singer of The Verb Pipe. Some of you might remember that 90s hit, Freshman, is all over the radio. Turns out they sold a million copies of that album right off the bat. He felt like he was this amazing lyricist, the lead singer. And so then he goes to create the second album. In their debut month, they sold 4,000 copies. One million, 4,000 considered one of the worst rejections of popular musical opinion in the 1990s. The beauty of the failure lab is that instead of telling you how a magnificent human being he is and how he came forth from the ashes, he just sat with it. Failure lab does not allow people to tell you what they learned from the lesson. When people gather in a place like a church or a convention center for failure labs, after the person tells their story, they sit down and everyone's quiet for a few moments. The, the beginners of this program understood that innovation is sparked by failure. Innovation begins when we try, when we listen to our inner sense of calling and we come up against those walls, those troughs of sorrow as they call it in the entrepreneurial world. And from those points, learn our own lessons, and rise up. My friends, the world relies on you fulfilling your vocation, listening to God, coming up against those walls and failing hard so that we can take the next faithful step. May it be so with you and with me. Thanks be to God, and amen.